0: GQ's Mad Influence is presented by Moët et Chandon. Life's memorable moments must be Moët et Chandon. Welcome to Mad Influence. I'm your host, Jim Nelson, editor-in-chief of GQ. Mad Influence is a podcast about artistic breakthroughs and what I like to call the long arc of creativity. There are any number of ways you could describe my next guest, Dave Chang, a pioneering chef, a big thinker about food and the way it intersects with culture, a TV personality, a retired magazine editor. I like to think of him as someone who refuses to let others define him, who is constantly redefining himself, fighting for the ground around him. Which is why we wanted him here on Mad Influence, a podcast about interesting, ever-changing careers and the long arc of creativity. Like a lot of people I've been interviewing for this podcast, he is restless and ambitious in the best way, always ripping up the script and starting over. And he's ambitious not primarily because he wants to get rich, though I know he wouldn't mind, but because it's in his nature. I don't think I've ever met anyone so relentlessly self-motivated. This is Dave. Hi, guys. Hey, Dave. Dave, that's
1: Jeff. Hi, Hi,
0: hi. Right now, his plate is entirely full. He's got a fascinating and really thoughtful show on Netflix called Ugly Delicious. He hosts the Dave Chang Show podcast for The Ringer. He's got restaurants in New York, including Momofuku Co., which has two Michelin stars. Restaurants in Australia, Toronto, my hometown, Washington, D.C. He opened Major Domo, his first L.A. restaurant early this year. Reviews have been almost uniformly ecstatic. He's here in New York opening two new restaurants. He's got his head in his palm of his hands right now, thinking about everything he's got to do. Dave Chang, welcome to Mad Influence.
1: Yeah, I just uh, made it down here from uh, opening day of uh, our new restaurant, Bong Bar. Well, see, this is really interesting
0: because I'm thinking back, I've been thinking back when you first started. It Wasn't 2004 your first? Yeah. yeah. And how you didn't want to take any investment money. You said you would not have succeeded if you had investment money, that you needed to fail on your own terms. Unequivocally, you said you didn't want shithead bankers. Yeah. <laughs> but what happens is it that you have to fail, and then at a certain point, you have to. You need that
1: banker money. What? Well, we you started need to make friends more... with shithead Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we started the business and on like basically like one hundred thirty thousand dollars, and we continued to take loan after loan after loan um, for almost ten years. I never took investors, and when I say I didn't think about long term decisions, yeah, like sounds like hyperbole that. I would make a decision thinking that I wouldn't be alive past a certain age. But Mm -hmm. like that's legitimately how I was living my life and running our business. You mean with blinders on and just Yeah, just like, okay, whatever. Like who cares? Yeah. We won't be we won't that's a problem that'll happen down the road. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. We probably won't ever get there, so who really cares? Right. And you know, I think about that. I, I have paused because I'm like, well, that is crazy, but that's exactly how we operate our business, which is ultimately why I think it, we were allowed to shape a different voice as to how business in the restaurants were operating. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we were all in, there was no room for failure. Like, very few people, I think, understand what that's like to you mean the pressure of it to not fail. Yeah. If you fail, you lose everything. Yeah. Like, that's a terrible place to not just for yourself for the other people around you as well So that sort of screws with my sense of how of your story because I felt like you did fail at the beginning Oh, yeah, we did fail and that's the thing is once you realize like like I was just like everyone else and Then when you fail you're you realize what's at stake mm-hmm. And when you continue to fail, you're like, oh wait you know, it's almost like a, a term paper or an exam, like, wait, I can't push this back. This is right. This is like do or die almost, and that's how we looked at it, and then all of a sudden something clicks, and you're like, oh, wait, we have to do anything in our power to not fail, so what we need to do is try all the things that might work out and failure wound up becoming the only thing that I think we were actually good at, <laughs> right? Because it allowed us to have a very organic, and when I mean organic, I think people use that word uh, inappropriately when describing an organization. At least for us, yeah. it was not having any idea what to do. <laughs> but see, that it's funny, because the way
0: I remember it is Noodle Bar c- comes out first, like 2004, yeah, and kind of doesn't get it, doesn't figure out what it is, right? Nope. and And then
1: because no one knew what a noodle bar was right it's crazy it didn't exist
0: yeah you but it di- they didn't it existed in maybe some version of it did in Chinatown
1: right no. no 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 really you had one ramen and that was a like one ramen and there were a few places in midtown that served like sushi that would have also ramen but the ramen on Tenth Street that's still there Rai Rai Ken that served a Chinese version yeah so there was no one doing like a their interpretation of ramen there was actually not a ramen shop that was serving wafu, like contemporary style Tokyo ramen. It's not what we were serving either. Um, and I had spent time, like the closest noodle bar that I could work at was in Bali's Casino. <laughs> and I worked there for like you two did. weeks. Yeah. Wow. Um, I also worked at Rai Rai Ken for like two months. Just like that. staging around, interning, just wherever I could work at a quote unquote noodle bar. That's where I worked. So
0: your original idea was that I'm going to make this, I'm going to make the idea of a noodle bar. I didn't
1: even know what that was, Mm. right? I was like, does it need dumplings? Do we need fried rice? Can I serve kimchi with my noodles? Like these are questions that I didn't have anywhere to turn to. Yeah. So, um, and to be honest, if I had to think about it, we didn't really have good food either because we were like, wait, we have to operate a restaurant. We don't even know how to like, I didn't even know what sales tax was, Yeah, right? I had no idea. I was like, wait, I have to deduct this and then save it and pay later, like learning how to clear the registers and do like soup to nuts. You, you spend all your
0: time like worrying about the front of the house and management and running a business. Stuff. Yeah. You're not prepared you're for like, it, right?
1: Yeah. And then you got to figure out, wait, we also have to cook the food and figure out that part. so it was six months of just sort of flailing around. and. Following what I thought that people might want to eat. And right. that was like some Americanized version of what a noodle bar was. And then through that failure, and then realizing that we had a couple months left to operate, that was when I realized oh, who cares? That's really when I realized. It's like getting a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunately when you see some people like starting to live and you're like, wait a second. That's that's great, but also incredibly bittersweet that you've right. been doing <laughs> this entire life. <laughs> they
0: start to live only
1: when they're yeah. about to die. Yeah. Right? And that's how I was like, fuck it. Let's just go. And and that's sort of what happened. And we were free to do all the things that we were not supposed to do.
0: Would you do differently right away?
1: We got rid of what we thought that a noodle bar was and we started cooking food that we thought was going to be important We played music more annoyingly and loud than normal Like like I remember very clearly like I think enter the 36 chambers is one of my favorite albums all time And I was like that can never be played in a restaurant ever You can never play that in a restaurant. I was like fuck it. It's a perfect (laughs) example It's like, you know what? We're just gonna play it out play it loud and see what happens Slowly but surely we just started like putting like crawfish on the menu and grits and things that you would never see Like weird juxtapositions or yeah, yeah. Ev- Everything anything and everything like oxtails and tripe and was the East Village crowd
0: digging it or what? Or, or, when did you know? know? When did you know that it was was do you remember when you're like, okay? This is working?
1: I don't know. We just started getting a line and then um, Well the lines, started are, lines are great in.
0: psychic things too, yeah. right? Yeah yeah. just tells people that something's going on there
1: and cooks started to come in mm. it was just That's a freak, interesting. we were like freak shows to people originally and we had an open kitchen and i was not um how should i say like i wasn't i didn't care that there were people there You didn't care <laughs> no because like i wanted a closed kitchen i didn't want an open kitchen if i had the money to have a closed kitchen i would have had a closed kitchen so i operated without having any idea that my actions were going to be perceived by the people. So I would have meltdowns several times a day. Right. It was, I remember it was kind of a little bit like theater <laughs> going to dinner theater. <laughs> What's the Dave Chang show. <laughs> and like, you know, now wildly inappropriate how I yelled and screamed and was just not ready. And I, I, a very famous chef came to me one day and he saw me just having a meltdown and, um, probably yelling at a cook or something or or berating a cook and he pulled me aside and he said the reason you're yelling is because you have insecure you're, you're insecure and you're not confident in your own abilities and I'll never forget that moment because I was like fuck you in my mind I was like fuck you like you don't know this is war every day it's war we have to like get this ready everything's on the line what do you know you you, you can come here and eat and not work at your own restaurant what do you know and I never forgot that moment. And the reality is, is when I see one of my cook, my, my younger chefs, uh, younger in terms of like years put in this business. And anytime someone's in a management position and they're having a hard time getting someone to do something. and I mean, this happens all the time. And they're so frustrated that they wind up losing their temper. I'm like, I say the same thing. The reason you're yelling is yeah. you're not good enough. <laughs> you're not good enough and you have a lot of insecurity. And the fact is he, that chef was 100% right. And it took me several years to unpack what that meant.
0: Because you were doing those, uh, you were like, you know, th- throwing your fist
1: through a wall. Those, your staff called them Korean termites. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, you know, it's funny. It's like I I didn't know. It's taken me a long time to understand why I would ever get that upset at anything. Cause that, yeah. And the thing is, right around that time is I started seeing a psychiatrist right around 2004, 2003 to 2004 was when I started seeing the the psychiatrist I still see now. And I all of a sudden had an anger issue that I never had when I worked for other people because I was always being the subservient cook. And all of a sudden, when I would like freak out, I was not prepared. I did not have the ability to... To, I didn't have the tools, right? Or yeah. the maturity to learn how to, to handle myself. Or manage your frustration. Or manage my frustration. Yeah. I had no idea. The, one of the few things that I found to be truthful why I actually love to cook, cook was that it didn't fail me. Right. Like it felt like everything in my life sort of failed me. And cooking was the one thing that if I do it right, like it's right. It's pure. It's pure.
0: Yeah, it's like the way
1: I feel about music. It's like it never lets me down. It never lets me down. And if I label something right, if I condense everything right, if I cook something right, if I wash my hands properly and dry it properly and I season it, that is like ultimately care. And that had never failed me. And that's why I actually loved cooking was, wait, all these things that don't matter, but if I care about it, I might suck at it, but through repetition, I'll get better at it. And- when I would see someone for the first time being in a position of management, I had never even been a sous chef before, all of a sudden not care about the things that I care about that were, quite frankly, like, I wouldn't say save my life, but gave it purpose. Mm-hmm. That, like, just, I couldn't fucking understand why someone wouldn't do that. And it would be like them trying to, like, take from me somehow, some, something. How did you eventually change your mood? Because your mood has changed.
0: And I can imagine in the restaurant, people who work under you feel that
1: keenly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've just tried to grow up. Yeah. And unfortunately it's been in the public eye for, for a lot of it. And, and those that I work with and, you know, there are people that have been with me thankfully for, for many years, some almost 14, 15 years. And, and when they make decisions like how we used to make decisions, I have to say like, that doesn't work anymore. You can't, I think for whatever reason, I think trying to be a better person, more thoughtful and adjusted has, has become like my hobby. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because I think that it translates to running a better business somehow.
0: I also think you're becoming, I've noticed this in the arc of Ugly Delicious and also in your podcast that you are trying very hard to find a positive line of thinking. Yeah. Because, you know, you, I, I would yeah you sometimes and I'd hear you you would go down the dark tunnel of despair <laughs> yeah. and criticism and it's very funny to watch you and René Redzepi because René is dispositionally optimistic yes right and you and you'll sit there and you'll you'll be dissecting something and you're trying to lament it and he's trying to say this is this is what's beautiful <laughs> about human positive. nature
1: yeah is that true yeah i mean like I'm trying, right? And one of the things, like, it's funny. I, I I never thought I'd talk about, like, my mental illness after all these years. But after Bourdain passing, I was like, fuck, like, I have, I feel like there's some responsibility. And ultimately, I feel like had I been more forthright in sharing it with him, maybe something could have changed. Yeah. Um, I am someone that is the, I'm probably the most pessimistic person you've ever met in your life. If anyone <laughs> met me, they're like, yeah. I may not be the guy listening to Morrissey and The Cure and just shoegazing, but... Uh, as a whole, I tend to think incredibly negative <laughs> negative thoughts about everything yeah that 's just who I am, and a lot of that stems from how I feel about everything right so it 's listen, like what else can I do other than try to get help for it right it 's not it 's not a lifestyle that I would like to live, but it 's the prism that I view the world it
0: 's a negative cast to your mind.
1: Is it about what you think of human nature yeah, yeah, and everything it 's not always the most like the best outlook of things. Um, But also my own thing, like how I I fit into the world, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, very much everyone's against me, which goes back into like if someone doesn't do something that I cherish, it's not selfish, it's like something that gives me meaning and someone's trying to trash it, I I get incredibly defensive about that. So like today, for instance, I yelled at... um, one of my sous chefs, and I immediately apologized five minutes afterward. I
0: was going to say, it's only 11 a.m. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's only, I've been up for a while. And like, and I, I didn't yell like I used to, but I definitely like lost my voice. I like yeah. raised my voice in a way that was like, everyone was like, oh. And I could, te- I could sense, like, fuck, I got so mad at myself. I was yeah. like, fuck. Because um, they didn't do something that I've been asking. And ultimately, I could have done a better job. I realized immediately, that's on me. Whenever someone fucks up, ultimately that's on me um, because I could have prepared them better. I could have put them in a position where making a better decision was easier. Right. And ultimately that's on me. So I immediately was like, fuck, I'm such a fucking hypocrite. I'm an asshole. I was like, go to the sous chef. I was like, hey, let's go to the, the other room. And I brought another chef to, and I explained to him what happened. And I tell, I told him, I was like, listen, um, And this is going to sound crazy, but when you did this, the reason I behaved that way was this. And I said, like, when you didn't do that and you didn't listen to me, I took that as you, like, trying to hurt me. Yeah. Right? I'm telling you, this may not make any sense. Like, I know that's not true. So I was reacting to something that wasn't real. So I'm apologizing. You know, I was like, and I think he's like, what the fuck? And he, I, the, <laughs> the what the fuck face immediately turned into me doing, like, dude, this is like years of fucking therapy right. to get here to, get to, this, get to this, this fucking moment. Right. And like, and it was a very emotional moment for us. And I yeah. was like, you know, we hugged it out and, and it was like, you got to understand, man, like, I don't want to, I don't want to behave this way. But like, if I do, like, you know, this is it. It's not. I'm not trying to find rationale to, to behave that way, but I'm simply saying like, I now know why I behave a certain way and I'm trying to like not go down that road. Going back and
0: thinking about how you changed your restaurants every step of the way. Um, you're a remarkably adaptive person and you might see it as a, as a kind of, oh, I fucked up, but I always see it the other way, which is maybe it's just, again, the cast that you bring to something, but like, oh, wow, Chang recognized pretty quickly that Noodle Bar wasn't working, and then Sambar also, same thing, right? And you, <laughs> yeah. you, weren't you doing like Mexican we're
1: doing burrito, burritos Korean and burritos, and <laughs> which yes. actually probably now would work, right? We were just Yeah, I, I feel very, very strongly about an idea that was so insane, but I think I look back on it now as maybe I was trying to fail, you know? Oh, wow. um, but it was basically Korean and Asian food served in a vehicle of Mexican burritos and tacos. See, it sounds delicious to me. <laughs> yeah. Made sense to me. Um, no one, no one went for it. Just it, dead. It just was. This is the, how it looks after years, ten plus years later. Is like for many years, I blamed everyone else, and then mm-hmm. I realized I could have made that better. I could have marketed that better. I could present it this better. So it's been a lot of analysis of to why I why I fucked it up, and ultimately. Again, most of the responsibility was on me. So I didn't know how to do it then either. So weirdly, through a lot of different paths, we get to Bongbar, and Bongbar is basically Sambar 2.0, at least the original version of it, done in a completely different way again. Because another thing that I am for sure is the one of the most stubborn assholes you've ever met, <laughs> particularly when someone tells me you can't do something or it doesn't fail. like i cannot I'll do it in 12 years. <laughs> yeah, I can't live with myself, right? Like I have to like, scratch that itch.
0: When you think about your influence, does it bother you that when you see people copying you? I I went to John Mayer and I went to a restaurant in, in Maui, in Hawaii. It was like a fucking Chang copycat. It was like food created by not David Chang. They should have had it like trademarked, and it was like, you know like the the plastic bottle. You know, it looked like it was some sauce. It was, you know, the steam buns, even the decor, the just everything about it, the box. It looked like your restaurant. And I was like, Chang should be getting money for this. <laughs> does this. Does
1: that not piss you off? Well, for, I think for a while it did. And then when I have to think about it, I have to realize, like, I haven't really invented anything. I've just sort of change ratios, repackage it a little bit differently and how uh, the juxtaposition of certain things come together, I think that ultimately does it differently or like we say it in a different way that it was ever presented before. Like that I have to be humble about and be like, you know what, it's fine. And then maybe I have to hope that that restaurant might evolve into something else. And maybe that's the first restaurant or like I'm learning not to cast judgments Mm -hmm. so like immediately. This is, I'm this so is the new positive. Is, it's, <laughs> again, like what I'm trying to do, right? Because yeah. I realize, like, if I behave the way I've behaved before, it's a dark path, right? Yeah. So I have to think about that and and be like, empathize. What if this person was like an immigrant and they saw some channel that we're on? And they're like, "Oh, we can open up this restaurant." It's like, what? I'm the I'm going to be the worst person in the world if I say, "Fuck you," you can't do that. If I hope, if I believe as a person that my the world I want to live in is. Diverse, full of new ideas and like inclusive, all of these things, then I have to represent those feelings too, even though sometimes I may not want to. Well, and in truth, it actually was
0: an awesome meal yeah. and it was great. And I, actually, I thought, well, it's not so bad if there are a bunch of momofuku ripoffs all over the world. <laughs> At least it'll be delicious. And it'd be nice, yeah,
1: if we had the money to do so. But like the other thing about that, and it certainly can be flattering, and I try not to believe anything that's positive because I feel like. You know, my head is physically big enough. I don't need it to be bigger. Um, Is like the only thing I get sad about when I see that is I fucking hate imitation. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. I don't know who said it, but it's like it's suicide. Right. Like you only have so much time on this planet. Why would you endeavor to do something that's not your own? Ultimately,
0: it's interesting that you say that you don't think you created anything original or, or new, because I, I was rereading the profile that Alan Richmond did in <laughs> GQ uh, in 2007, and I was struck by how far we've come culinary, culinarily as a country since then, and he was expressing, expressing the pleasure and surprise of discovering something new, and he sort of captured the food world uh, sentiment when Sambar came onto the scene. This quote struck me, eating at Momofuku Sambar is like falling in love with a woman whose language you don't speak, captivating but mystifying. At Sambar you won't understand the food, but you will immediately regret all the years you lived without it. And I was thinking when I read that, I totally understand that food. Not only do I recognize it, but I recognize it now as American. Is that what you wanted all along? Isn't it like just? You well,
1: know- I think it's sort of like this worldview thing. And you know, it's funny. Like John Heilman, the political commentator, sort of summarized my life in a weird, like, two sentences when we were talking about Brett Kavanaugh, because I went, I graduated from the same school, unfortunately, as mm. as him, and. He was like, your whole life is the antithesis of what like that kind of world is supposed to be. Yeah. And and uh, I want I I don't know. Wh- I mean, a lot of it has to be how I was raised and how I viewed things. But a lot of it was I feel like I was forced that when there's one way, mm-hmm. that's the only way. And I hate that. That is something that I have to fight against. Like, um, I think that just makes me so fucking angry when someone says, that that whether it's uh, cultural biasness or um, a totalitarian state or something like we're talking about food here too, yeah. but ultimately I think it can represent the worst part of like our, ourselves. It's like there's only one way you can get to this goal, mm-hmm. and that's this way, right? And I've always rejected not just this you see that in food, like in anything, whether it's religion or or particularly religion, I guess for me, but There's got to be more than one way to get to the end goal in food and the end goal in food is simply this When you eat a meal, are you happy that you're there? Was it delicious? And is it something you want to eat again? Did it bring you joy, right? Mm -hmm. How the fuck you got there who fucking cares who cares? Seriously as (laughs) long as it's done in a moral universe where you're not fucking hurting anyone and you're a good custodian Who gives a shit if this French guy says this is the only way and like some dude in Indonesia says this is the best way, if how you've leave this meal is joyous, who's fucking right or wrong? If someone spent $500 and someone spent $5, what's the fucking difference? Hey,
0: I wanna take a quick break here to thank Moet et Chandon. As you know because you've been listening, Mad Influence features personalities and performers who shape our culture, focusing on moments that have mattered most to them. We explore artistic breakthroughs and the hard-won discoveries that have helped forge legacies and define careers. The stuff, in other words, that's worth celebrating. So it's fitting that this season of Mad Influence is presented by Moet de Chandon, who has stood for celebrations for over 275 years. As we examine the ingredients of some pretty unforgettable creative careers, we're grateful for the support of the world's most loved champagne and for their encouragement to celebrate Memorable moments. I want to make sure that I ask you about something that um, we've talked about before that uh, I think is really interesting and it actually hits to this larger theme of how you build a longer life of creativity. You say that chefs don't recognize that they do the best of their work in a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm that most of them are gonna do their best work between, what did you say, like between 20... 27
1: and 35.
0: Yeah, 27 and 35. So, the problem is that they don't understand that, they don't face it, What what is the problem and can you explain the theory what you should, and what you should take from it?
1: Jim and I have had this conversation <laughs> over the years in a variety of formats and this is another... Sometimes I disagree too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wrong all the time on a lot of things, so... Um, And I've asked this to a lot of people in some kind of craft or creative endeavor. I'm sort of infatuated and obsessed with the idea of when you're at your best. Mm -hmm. Um, And people can disagree, but I think that in the variety of fields, there are certain moments and certainly there's going to be exceptions to the rule. But there comes some framework, some window in your life where if you are dedicated to it, you are going to be at your best. And that's just to me a truth, right? that You can get as no, good, at, you, or, that, there, or that if you are dedicated to it, that is your, where yeah. you're pursuing something that you are single minded, track focused on it, and you want to be, do some excellent work. At some point on that journey, that trajectory, uh, you know, there's going to be a moment where you are peak, you, you're just at the best possible yeah. powers. You see that in athletics, you see that in mathematics, see you in see music. that in music, you see that in film. And I think when I ask this question to a lot of my comedians, you can name it. Yeah. A lot of people don't like thinking about it because it's almost like creative mortality. Yeah. And I fucking love it because it's like, I never want to be on the, like, realize like, oh, like I should have like retired. Yeah. That's to me the worst, worst thing is to put out shit when you think you're still good enough.
0: I know, I'm, I've always been obsessed with the idea of hacks. Yeah. Like, I want to do a book called Hacks, A User's Manual, because there's so many that need help <laughs> <laughs> recognizing when you're a hack, right? Yeah. And that's the worst terror to me, is like waking up one day and realizing you're a hack.
1: And listen, I'm not coming up with this theory other than for my own sort of like use, but I, if I chart out a lot of the chefs that were meaningful to me, uh, both men or women, as to what their sort of most famous dishes were, yeah, almost everyone, like, that they, mo- they might be known for three to five dishes happen from the ages of 26 to like 35. Almost everyone. And I dare anyone to do the same thing and plot it out. And you're going to see a correlation of data that all suggests that it's around that time. And what happens at that moment in someone's life, right? I think that's very telling.
0: You mean it's before they get settled and before they. Wisdom. Okay. I Wis- think it's wisdom. wisdom stops inno- innovation? At some point, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is depressing, though, yeah. because wisdom well, should depressing. be something that. well, wisdom should be something
1: that's gained. It is gained, but I think but wisdom losing. is also logic. Wisdom mm-hmm. is something that is always, you know, the common denominator as to what happens in life, right? And through experience, wisdom is experience. You realize that certain things are going to work and certain things aren't. And for me, and when I see it, it's like, and I've talked to other chefs when they're in their sort of later 20s, and- They, for the most part, don't know enough, but they believe in themselves so, so like fiercely Mm -hmm. that they don't think that any idea is a bad idea. Right. And, and because of that naivete, they believe that they're going to try something so reckless and so possibly stupid Mm -hmm. that anyone with more wisdom would never have attempted it. And the thing is, what I, I really believe strongly about is when you are able to try to do something like that, when the odds are stacked against you. And again, this is obviously me projecting my own life in so many ways was everyone's going to tell you what's going to work and not work. But until you actually know, and I believe like so fiercely in this is that when you fail, you don't really know if it's a failure. You're not self-aware. It's almost like discovering a new d- dimension in reality, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, right. wait. Everyone wants to edit in their head, Uh right? And I say this a lot to younger, to some of my sous chefs when they make a dish. It just happened the other day as a prep for noodle bar. Someone was making a uh, cabbage dish. And uh, I just was like, make it a delicious sauteed cabbage dish. And the version that I was given and tasted, and he'd been slaving away at this dish, was ripping spicy. It was like muddled. It had rice cakes. It was like 17 different things. And I was like, what version is this honestly he's like probably like 40 right and i'm like you, if you mapped all of these versions out was right, it worth it is that what you're asking no i was like how many of those did you just edit out in your head and how many did you actually physically do mm. cuz you you're saying 40 but i doubt you actually this is version 41.0 right i bet you this is version 3 <laughs> right <laughs> right and he's like yeah and i'm like dude you have to understand in your head when you're ideating off something if you have the current version, by the time you get to like version 41 in your head, you're so far removed from where you actually started to be that you don't, it's like, it's like telephone game in your own brain, at least creatively. And it becomes this warp fucking thing. And I was like, so often you forget that you might have to go back to ground zero to start again. And I was like, this dish that you're making is not even remotely based on cabbage anymore. <laughs> You've lost the cabbage. you yeah. And all I'm trying to say is like, don't edit in your head, and if you fuck this up, version one, two, three, four, five, if you continue to iterate on that dish physically, and make notes, and be logical, and rational, and take all of this information in, if you did it that, did it that way, and you got to version 40 again, I doubt that you would be at the place you're at right now. I would actually I guarantee you wouldn't be at that point. So, for me, it's like, um, you know, there's this quote, and it's not, I can't remember who said it, because it's such a fucking impossible book, Ulysses, uh, mm-hmm. Jace, but like, Errors are the portals to discovery. Errors are the portals to discovery, yeah. And I genuinely, like, if I got one tattoo, which I never will, that would be something I would believe in. I do believe in. So failure in that regard is the most important thing. So when you're young and you're stupid, but you have enough training that you can actually execute something, you're more willing to fuck up and figure out from that mistake something that someone had more wisdom or experience would never have even seen. What do your friends,
0: chef friends, like Renee say, when you throw out this theory? Because they're like, f- aren't they like, fuck you? I'm still oh, yeah. idioting. I'm still doing Everyone. great shit. The best of, you know, people have to sort of believe that the their best work is ahead.
1: Yes. Right? I, I believe that. And I think, though, that what a lot of some, even like someone like Renee, he is, and he would still disagree with me if he's here. I'm saying he is not physically doing it himself anymore. Mm-hmm. He is now using his wisdom to put other people in positions of success, and that's still the creative process. But right. he's more of a producer. Yeah, you know? and I just want to figure out how to like maximize each point on this trajectory as best I can.
0: Is that true of you? Because because I, I, so. I was going to say I could counter that you have become a better chef over the years. That I think Major Domo is—it's a mature restaurant. So, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, doesn't that sort of Crush your theory,
1: um, yeah, I guess it does i, like <laughs> just, I just killed, <laughs> it. <laughs> killed yes. it no, but I mean, for me, though, major Dome was like ultimately, I think what might trump that is when you have something to say, uh-huh. right? like like I had to get it off my chest, right that restaurant was I felt very strongly that if that failed, my career was over, really, yeah, you, I put all of that pressure on me, and i i I wanted to make sure you that I feel that tenuously me. about your career, well. I don't know. I, I I just felt like nothing matters if this fails. Uh huh. And that's just how I the, the mindset yeah. that I'm in. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even. It's not when I let me rephrase it. It wasn't just me. It was the people and the team that we have there that we believed in each other to get to a goal that we we all shared. We actually all shared what we wanted the restaurant to be. And I shared with them what I some of the ideas I had, and they shared some of their ideas, and we worked really hard to get to that goal. Ultimately. And I've told them this, like, Major Domo doesn't have to be... Like, I just wrote the first paragraph.
0: I want to add, end on a positive note, the new, the new positive Dave Chang. Who out there now is underrated? Either chefs or restaurants, who... When you go out there, who who inspires you and makes you think, damn, that's the next that's the next oh, wave?
1: I mean, right now, when people come to town, I feel like everyone wants to eat at Via Carota. I have to ask myself, it's like, what is Rita? And even though Jody's not technically there, but like they're, I think they're both involved in everything they do together. It's like somehow they they're in the spotlight just enough, and people love their fucking restaurants. And they're homey too. Yeah, and they all but it's also fucking delicious, man. Yeah.
0: And um, They make a kind of simulation of a burger that I, I actually do dream about. Bouvet
1: is fucking awesome. Yeah. And I just think that that's cool. It's like, oh wait, like they do their thing and if they get more recognition grade, if not, they don't care. They have restaurants in Japan and France. It's like Yeah, there's a Bouvet in Paris yeah, yeah, and yeah. a Bouvette in Tokyo. Oh, I didn't know that. And outside of the world, I don't know in terms of like doing cool shit. You know, I mean like, you know, Renee's one of my best friends. I just think what Noma's doing right now is like the closest thing we sort of have to like the fashion, like haute couture, like right now it's like so fucking out there in the best positive way. Um everyone asked me for Paris, like I think Pascal Barbeau is still like pound for pound the best chef in the world. Where is he? In uh near the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I don't remember the the, the district. Um uh, Lostrance is the, is History, the name. Yeah. Three Michelin stars, but how he does it, right? You in, in some ways, you have two schools of cooking now. You have the Robochon way, which is very systemized and it works like clockwork. And then you have the free flowing improvisation of the Pierre Gagnier um, arpege way. Arpeggio, yeah, which is the veg- vegetable. Yeah. yeah. Um, vegetable centric. So arpege you so you have two schools you have the robuchon way which is like swiss clockwork and then you have the the improvisational ingredient drivenness of Alain passard and that to me are like the prevailing like european sensible american-centric ways and weirdly enough i would never have thought that passard would probably be the most influential chef of the past 50 years but i probably say that i think he's eclipsed Fernand. um so you know like if you can cook in that vein, that's something that I, I, I like a lot more because I think it's both are very difficult, very different schools of thought. Why, why do
0: you say he's the most influential just because he's the first guy to Everyone, really embrace vegetables in in a sort of it sounds, again, cuisine way? He
1: he just was he was so ahead of the curve and and he's been more ingredient driven. Uh, and he was the first person to do like like in the nineties he, he he was the the jacuse against the meat industry and he did so many things that I think people might see as obnoxious, but I can't see another chef right now. As influential as Fran and Heston and Keller and all those guys are, Alice Waters, I think Passard today, if I go out to a dinner, is the most dominant chef in most restaurants that I, I, I see. I mean, people may not even realize it, but how he looks at food, how he plates food, that's to me everywhere and I mean easily I could be wrong but I see his patterns and fingerprints in more restaurants than any other chef in the world. Do you think
0: LA is the most influential food city now?
1: I do believe that 100% and sorry New York like listen I've been here a long time and it pains me to say that but if you have been here a long time if you haven't recognized a shift like then your head's in the sand and I think entirely that has to do with Hubris and economics. Why would a younger cook live here as difficult as it is when they may never get their opportunity to open up a restaurant? When they could make more money in Tennessee and have their own spot, or Austin, and then Houston. Like It's just the fact that every city in America literally has a great restaurant.
0: And a sustainable economy where yeah. people can open up restaurants. And,
1: and the democratization of food, has been great for America and bad for New York. And New Yorkers just gotta deal with it. And instead of bitching about it, everyone in New York's just gotta do a better job.
0: Where have you eaten in, besides Koreatown, because you always say Koreatown, in LA, besides Majordomo, that you would say everyone's gotta
1: go there? I mean, Jess Coslow, God bless her. I think Squirrel cool. is just one of my favorite places anywhere because it's a food you want to eat all the time, and people think that it's just like breakfasty food, and when you eat it, it's really good. It's really good because she's thoughtful, and she's a great chef, and she uses techniques that are incredibly, like, smart. So I don't think she gets nearly enough credit. Um, the Animal Guys, obviously, with their growing empire, it's amazing. Um, John Vinny. John Vinny. Um you know, you have a lot of different people. Dave Barron, I still haven't been there yet. At, Which one's at, that? At is dialogue? The, uh, dialogue, yeah. Used to be the, it's the, in Santa the, Monica. The at, uh, at Next. You have Jessica Largie, who I think is, um, we had her on my pod, has opened up a, in the arts district called Simone. I haven't yet to hmm. dine there, but I, I think she might be the most talented chef, like, in America today. Like, really? That's under... A certain age group, right? But even that's sort of stupid. I just, she's sort of like this weird prodigy that hasn't fucked it up and she's so sensible and mature, it's scary. (laughs) Really? Wow, I gotta go there. She's badass. uh, I, I also hear you talking about it,
0: about LA, so much more excitedly than you talk about New York.
1: Because, again, it's not because of New York, I'm not talking positively. Like, we're here, we're opening more stuff in New York than anywhere else. New York is still going to be the greatest city to live in. And when I say it doesn't have the best food culture, that's not true. It's still the best, like, technical eating town. But there are more people trying to fuck up in L.A. (laughs) And I I think that's it. It's like... It's cool, You have people that are trying weird shit, man. And I love that. It's weird. And it's getting more weird. Um, There is... A beat to LA that's hard to replicate anywhere else. And again, like I'm so pro Houston because of the diversity in people. And this is where I get positive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm trying to end on a positive, positive note because here because, like, I while I'm a pessimist, I I say I'm weirdly the best kind of optimist because I'm a pessimist that hopes to be wrong, right? So, <laughs> uh, I think that LA, and I spent a lot of time there when I, I I'm, I can see when people get upset from LA when they say. The New Yorkers or people from the East Coast say, oh, yeah, L.A. is really good now. I see, I understand now why they're like, oh, you're just discovering our green market? Are you just discovering our giant Latino population? The fact that we have world-class Korean food, Thai food, you name it. Filipino food across the board. Um,
0: It's like the world wasn't ready for what L.A.
1: had to offer. we didn't need your fucking approval, <laughs> <laughs> for New Yorkers to finally yeah. come over and say, "Hey, this is a pretty From cool the thing. From LA on. perspective, they're like, "Fuck <laughs> you guys! We don't need you to tell us that we've got it going on. Yeah, we've yeah. known we got it going on, which is why we chose to live yeah. here."
0: <laughs> but I gotta say, the food scene is way way better. And both LA and Houston are two places where you go there now, and it's almost like you can't. It's like that that you know, trying to take a sip out of a of water out of a fire hydrant, where you just you just you just get blown away Pop- by it.
1: People. Th- can try shit out, man, and, and that to me is so exciting when people are willing to do something and anytime you start a business, and this is again trying to me be mature because I, I think I used to shit talk my business all the time when anyone would do anything, how stupid it was. Now I'm like, dude, anytime anyone tries to open up a business, God bless them, and I hope nothing but success because it's so fucking hard. You have no idea if some individuals like myself leveraged everything right and they're just hoping for a better date and they don't know what the fuck that is so anytime someone opens up a business you want them to succeed because I've seen too many people lose their fucking shirt so when people don't succeed in this business it is like so fucking sad right because there's ultimately it's not a business that's gonna reward you financially
0: yeah you know it's got it it's got to feed the spirit or something like that yeah um Dave Chang I could talk to you all day we got to wrap it up uh, Ending on a positive note. (laughs) Um, Thanks so much. And everybody, uh, go eat at Momofuku. Check out the new restaurant. Watch Ugly Delicious. Listen to The Dave Chang Show, the podcast. Uh, Thanks for being my guest. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to Mad Influence. We'll be releasing new episodes every two weeks. And if you liked what you heard, leave us a review or a comment on iTunes or on whatever platform you use to listen. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.